let me ask this. In light of everything, life throwing us a curveball this last year, things out of the norm, how many of you guys have been re, like, able to reprioritize some things with more of eternal perspective as a result of this pandemic? How many of you guys would say that's been a good thing as a result of, yeah. There's been a lot of good things in life, but God calls us to his things, which are the best things. And it's been cool because we've had to close some doors on good things and being able to reprioritize what matters Okay, I love, I've been praying for years that the hearts of the fathers would turn back to their kids. How many dads are actually home more and their eyes have been open? Man, <laughs> this is what's needed. I need to be here to serve my family, to love them, to be there for the church to get over their stuff and reprioritize what matters. Okay, And even, anyways, we could go on and on, but it's just good to seek the Lord. What do you want? What do you have? Um, I just encourage us to keep seeking him and allowing things to change because it's easy to fall into routines. This is just what I do. But God maybe wants you to stop that and move on to something else. And that's okay. Do you guys know that? Because as we grow, God's always up to something. And that's the fun part. And I want to be, I don't know if you're like me, but I want to be where he's at work. Okay? So just be open. God, what are you up to? Okay, you've had me loving this neighbor. Well, maybe it's now time to start loving that neighbor. <laughs> Be open to what he has in that way. Oh, the Lord is good. What did I tell you guys to turn? Romans 2 and 1 Peter chapter 3. Or 2 Peter. Sorry, 1 Peter was last week. I like the Apostle Paul. For any of you guys who have hung around for a little while, you know that he is my hero. Um, and we're in the book of Romans and Genesis on Sunday mornings. And last time we were in Romans, uh, we covered some heavy stuff, okay? Uh, we talked about the wrath of God, uh, homosexuality. Uh, this morning we're going to be talking about uh, judgment and how we do that wrong and the hypocrisy that we can play in the church. And next time we're in Romans, we're going to be talking about circumcision, these are hard things, and I want you guys to catch what our brother Peter said about our brother Paul in verse 15 of Second uh, Peter 3. Actually, look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent. That's not the scripture. Oh, it is. Okay, be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul. So the guy who wrote the book of Romans that we're studying right now, okay, our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them things or these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. So one thing we know about the word of God, that it's all God-breathed. It's all inspired from Genesis to Revelation. And as Peter tells us, hey, there's some hard things that we need to acknowledge, that we need to deal with. And that's one thing that I love about the book of Romans. Okay, There is a depth of wisdom, of doctrine, good theology for us to get it and get it right, guys, that we can give it right to others. So I want to encourage you guys, 
dive in, dig in. What we're going through this morning, we could spend hours okay, going through this and taking in more. I want to encourage you guys, um, as we're studying through, go back, revisit these things, grab some good commentaries, read up on this stuff, because we do see a lot of twisting of the scriptures today. Okay, it's happening all around us, and we want to be those who just stand upon the word of God. This is what you say. This is what you declared. And the word of God is good for us. You guys know that? We're told to allow it to richly dwell in us. Our God is a good God. He doesn't want junk dwelling in us. He wants what is good and right. Okay, And we're to abide in him, in his word. And I love, guys, a lot of people find this burdensome, hard. Even what we're going through this morning, if the word of God's doing what it's supposed to do, it's, it's going to divide even some intents that are going on in our hearts, things that we think okay and make things known of what is true and what is good and what is right and we need to allow god to do that and be open to that correction okay some people like i just want to come to church and hear a feel-good message so i have a wonderful bubbly week you know well praise god if you love jesus i love some conviction i don't do you guys ever hear a sermon and it's just like wow you know i was convicted and it's good because I love my heavenly father and I want to do those things that are right that please him I like that conviction because when God speaks truth to us it's not in a (laughs) you screwed up again (laughs) how could you you know better that's not the heart of God okay that's not the tone that we find from his word he speaks those truths because he loves us guys do you understand that God really loves us enough to tell us the truth And what a privilege and a grace that we have here this morning just to be able to partake and dig into these things. So I want to encourage you this morning as we look at Romans 2 and we consider what Paul has written to us thus far, he's really trying to lay out a big picture for you and I about the depravity of everybody, okay? Humanity, universally speaking. We've all fallen short. Do you guys know that? That's why we need a Savior. That's why you're here this morning, okay? We don't want to play the hypocrite, okay? None of us have it all together. I've spoken with people who think they have it all together. Man, what pride. Do you guys know that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? So, Father, this morning as we come to your word, we want to come to to it before you with humility, Uh, just asking of you, Lord, to... Speak to us by your grace to give us ears to hear what your spirit would be saying. I would offer myself to you. I know that none of us here want to hear from a guy named Landon. We want to hear this morning from a king named Jesus. This is your word. So please, Father, speak to us now. We ask in your name. Amen. So this universal depravity okay, of humanity... Um, Really, Paul, as we've seen so far, condemning first the Gentiles in chapter 1, and now we're going to see in chapter 2, all the way into chapter 3, verse 8, speaking to the Jewish people, uh, and then the rest of chapter 3 speaks then to all peoples. So I think it's good for us when we're understanding uh, divisions that we find in the Scripture. It helps us understand Okay, there's these things in the Bible called dispensations, and we're going to get into that next week as we get into Genesis. But it's good for us to rightly divide the word. 
okay? I see a lot of Gentiles today who are trying to be Jewish, <laughs> okay? There's a Hebrews roots movement that has gained a lot of steam, and they want to go back to the law. In passages that we have this morning, as we read the writings of Paul, the hard things to understand, but very clear in, in truth, in doctrine, and what's right and wrong, and what we shouldn't do, and going back to the law is not one of them, guys. Christ has set us free from the law. It's very clear. So if you're a Gentile trying to be a Jew, knock it off. That's what the Bible says. Okay? What matters is who you are in Christ Jesus. Have you put your faith in him? Is he your savior, the one who fulfilled the whole of the law? And we find our right standing, not in doing the law, but in Christ who did it all perfectly. Our sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is him. So this morning, guys, as we consider God's judgment here, um, we have the Gentiles. They were given to idolatry, sexual perversion. We see that all over. Um, Jews, they would play. <laughs> what we're going to deal with today is that holier-than-thou mentality. Okay? Religious people in that way. You guys know any of those people? I know a few. I love you if you're watching. I'm so glad you're listening today. <laughs> all people then are addressed, and we're all equally condemned before God. Well, I don't like this talk of condemnation. I thought God was all about love and forgiveness. Why would he condemn anybody in his word? Have you ever talked with people? And they're just like, don't tell me that. That's offensive. I'm offended right now by you telling me this. The gospel offends people. Jesus offends people. Remember, Sonny and I were meeting with the Begonias. Some of you guys know them many years ago. And we were reading from uh, 2 Corinthians at a coffee shop downtown Appleton. We were just having some conversation um, and we were reading the scriptures, and we were able to engage a young gal that was at the coffee shop also, and we began to speak to her about Christ, the goodness of God, the reality of the gospel, and how he's able to save. And this gal, was, she was engaged, she was listening, and so was someone else at the table behind us. And she went off because she was radically offended by us sharing the gospel with this gal and telling her these things that all have fallen short. We're all condemned, and this is why we need a Savior. And I'm just sitting there with my wife and Sean and Lena. And if you guys know Sean at all, and me, I mean, we're kind of like, hey, this is the truth. And then we had our wives there coming with the grace of God <laughs> into the conversation, which was beautiful and wonderful. But it's one of those things today, guys. People take offense at everything. Everything. And how could God condemn? You're not a Christian if you have that type of language. Well, that's the type of language of our Lord, our Savior of Christ, whom we follow. And we're going to be offended. That's just life. And we live in a day and an age where we're not allowed to offend anybody. What's that about? Okay? We should be able to have real conversations and to speak the truth. And I will tell you guys, as your pastor, I do love you. And I try to speak the truth in love the best I can. But truth offends. 
And if you're offended, good. I would ask you to humbly go before God and reason with him. Humbly say, God, I know you're right, even though this is hard for me to swallow, even though these things are hard for me to take. You're right. Bottom line. And I know my thinking's wrong. And let me tell you what, if you spend any time looking to what God has declared in his word, you've realized that his ways are better. How many of you guys have seen that from the scriptures, that he is much wiser than we are, that our thinking gets jacked up, and he is always right. So we see this this morning, guys. And again, just for a little bit of outline for us, God's judgment is really based upon three divine standards. We see in verses 2 and 4 this morning, it's based in truth. You can jot that down if you're taking notes. Verses 5 to 11, impartiality. And then I love verses 12 to 16 because one of these divisions comes right back to the solution, and it is Jesus Christ himself. He is the answer, guys. So we look at this, Jesus himself. I mean, you think about it, he is the absolute and infinite you know, <laughs> truth, okay? And he's the only one who can condemn. You understand that? He's, he's the only one who can because he's God. He's the only one who has right to. He's the one who's authored what is right and wrong. Okay, He's the one who is called sin, sin. And we get to come before him and allow him to do what is right. Yet, some of us still think or say, and I think as we're going to be re, uh, dealing with Israel, the Jewish people this morning, a lot of Jews... They live in a reality or a mentality, but I'm not as bad as them. Okay, And I love some of the parables that Jesus has given us, right? You know, we, we read about the, the Pharisee who boasts in all he does right in the keeping of the law and how much he gives. And then we have a sinner <laughs> beating his chest and he can't even look up towards heaven because he is so broken over his sin. And how does God see this situation? Well, it's the sinner. It's the broken heart before God. He's the one who's forgiven and ends up having a right standing before God where this man who is proud and full of himself, look how religious and good and great I am. You can find justification before God in your righteousness. Bottom line. The prophet Isaiah declares that your righteousness before God is as filthy rags. Even the best of us guys still fall short. You understand that? So it's easy for the religious mind, the Jewish mentality, well, at least I'm not as bad as them, those unbelievers. Well, the answer to that type of thinking is, yes, <laughs> you do have the same things. You're just more... Um, refined in how you deal with your sin. Okay? We all have sin. You just hide it better. You're so full of yourself. And then we have some Gentiles out there, and their thought is, well, I shouldn't, you know, I, or maybe I should be acquitted because of ignorance. I don't know the scriptures. Okay? Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I, I don't know him. I don't know the Torah, I'm clueless to what God has declared. Well, the answer to them would be no, you have your conscience in nature around you is declaring what is right as we studied last time. 
So before we jump into Romans chapter 2, I want to bring up this picture for you of the Queen Mary. Have any of you guys been on the Queen Mary? Awesome! That's so cool. Pretty big, right? Yeah, very big. Largest ship to cross the oceans um, when it was launched back in 1936. So through four decades, guys, and a world war, she served until she was retired. Now she's anchored in a museum. Okay, the boat itself is a museum there in Long Beach, right? California. Are you from California? I'm born in California, raised in Arizona. How many, okay, you're from California, found that out this morning. Who else is from California? You guys too? Why would you guys move to Wisconsin? Oh man, <laughs> it's crazy. Anyways, <laughs> so uh, during the conversion of this floating hotel museum of the Queen Mary, her massive uh, smokestacks there, they were taken off to be uh, scraped down and repainted, uh, but on the dock, they just crumbled. They fell apart. Nothing of that three-fourths inch steel was left because it had all rusted away and what was holding them together was 30 layers of paint over the years to keep them in a place so there was no substance only an exterior appearance do you guys get where i'm going with this there was nothing on the inside it just looked good on the outside no substance only exterior appearance so this is going to lead us into Romans chapter 2. Let's check it out, okay? Hypocritical judgment here. In verse 1, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, in, for in whatever you judge, another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? That's a great question for you and I this morning. How many of you guys would like to talk about this? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I'd like to ask another question in light of this question. How many of you guys are part of the holier-than-thou club? Be honest with yourselves. <laughs> I think some of us at one time may have had a membership. Hopefully we stopped the payments and we're no longer part of it. You see, guys, judging others from verse 1 here is often misunderstood. Some believe that we should never make moral decisions about anybody else. Okay? Judge not! What is the rest of the context around that say in the scriptures for you and I? Actually, God does call us to judge. So should we never confront anybody about a legitimate sin in their life? Absolutely, yes. And you do it in love. That's what the Bible tells us to do. I want to share a story, well, it's a true story, in Connecticut City. Any of you guys from Connecticut? <laughs> Just SoCal, okay. Um, <clears throat> there were 53 residents 
um, in this city, in this certain neighborhood. They all signed this petition to stop the reckless driving in their streets. They were worried. This is dangerous. It needs to stop. We need laws in place. So they all signed this petition, okay? And the police were set there to be on watch. A few nights later, five violators were caught. How cool is that, right? All five of them were people who signed the petition, That's how we like to roll, right? That's wrong. <laughs> but we're the ones doing the same things. A hypocrite says, Bob, he's always criticizing others, right? See, we don't become righteous by pointing out the sins of others. That's not how it works. Oh, look at them. I would never do such a thing. But you got your own thing. You're doing your own thing. Be real. You see, if you see another stumble or fall, let our first thought be, of all men, I'm most likely to stumble in that same way. Do that same thing. Right? There but by the grace of God I go. 1 Corinthians 15.10, I am what I am by the grace of God. Man, if there's anything good in you, get on your knees and thank your heavenly Father. It is all him. It is his grace. You see, we're very blind to our own faults. We have amnesia when it comes to our past sins. And we rationalize it. It's not pornography. It's art. It's a white lie. A little lie. Not a lie. Just an affair. Not adultery. And then my favorite, it's a prayer request. It's not gossip. Aren't we good at justifying things, guys? We might be righteous in our own eyes, but it doesn't mean we are in God's. See, I find it very easy to cover up my own failures by criticizing others. So how about you? Are you in that same boat? Do we do this? How rarely... We weigh our neighbor in the same balance in which we weigh ourselves. Whom do you judge more? Yourself or others? I love the goodness of God. Look at verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and the forbearance of and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance. Now, you guys who like to underline things in your Bible, underline this. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. If we sat in round table, what we thought would lead us to repentance, I don't think this would probably be one of the first things we'd mention. I think we'd come up with a long list of some other things that would help us repent. But God says it's his goodness. So I want to chew on this for a moment with you guys and underline that. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Even put a star next to it or maybe a heart. Be reminded of this truth. Ah, Charles Spurgeon said this. It's possible that God's 
goodness, kindness, may refer to how much he overlooks our past sins. Forbearance and tolerance are present sins, and long-suffering and patient are future sins. I like that. So I want to notice, you know, it's not the badness of man, but it's the goodness of God that brings a person to repentance. Okay? There's a lot of bad people out there. A lot of bad people. Aren't you all glad that they're in jail? The difference is you just didn't get caught. We're all bad. We've all fallen short. So, me living with guilt on overload, that's not going to do it. You know how many people I've counseled that are living under the burden of guilt and shame? Literally, people crippled by it. And they want to hold to those things, hoping that's what's going to help them get right with God. It's going to be my failure, (laughs) my guilt, that's going to get me right with God. It doesn't work that way. It's not the shame, not even a shame that would make a sailor blush that'll help you get right with God, help you to repent. It's the goodness of God. You see, the prodigal son, when did he come to repentance, guys? Not when he thought about his badness, how he blew it, but rather his father's goodness Right, Luke 15, 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And here I perish with hunger. Okay, It was his dad's goodness that led him back home. So when the dove was weary, she remembered the ark and she flew into Noah's hand at once. Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect on God being just, for his justice cannot sleep forever. So goodness, what does that mean? It means what is suitable or fitting to a need. So are you grateful for God's goodness? I guess that's the underlining question for you and I. Because if you don't care about his goodness, you're going to have a real hard time repenting. Do you care about his goodness? Are you so thankful that he loved you so much that he was willing to come and to lay down his life to take your place, to be crucified upon that cross for your sin? Do you recognize the goodness of our God? That he loves us so much that he came to serve us. Our God, whom we ought to serve, we've been created to serve, to glorify He's the one who came to serve. That's a good thing, guys. We have a good God. Full of mercy. Full, abounding. His grace upon grace for you and I. Man, our God is good. What a Savior. That's going to make me repent. Because I can wallow in my junk pretty good and stay there and even keep spiraling farther and farther down. 
that's me. But the goodness of whom my God is, my loving heavenly Father, wow. How can I not love him back? How can I not want to do those things that would honor him and please him? It's his goodness, guys. So let's consider faith now. Faith proved by works. Look at verse 5. It says, but in accordance with your hardness and your independent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of righteous judgment of God. And who will render to each one according to his deeds? Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So in verse 5, this word hardness in the Greek is uh, sclerosis. What? That's kind of cool, Pastor. Thanks for sharing that. You guys understand that sclerosis is an abnormal hardening of body tissue. Multiple sclerosis. How many of you guys have heard of that before? Right? It's that chronicle, typically a progressive disease involving damage. Uh, to the sheaths of the nerve cells in the brain, also the spinal cord, uh, whose symptoms may include numbness, impairment of speech, muscular coordination, blurred vision, and severe fatigue. So let's put this into the spiritual sense for a moment. Wouldn't that stink spiritually speaking? Absolutely. So do you guys see the abnormal hardening of our hearts before the Lord is not a good thing? How many of you guys can testify that when you came to faith in Christ, you could literally tell that something had changed in your heart? There was now a softness to your heart that wasn't there before. How many of you guys can testify to that? Isn't that the coolest thing? It is so beyond anything that we would understand. We didn't even know it was possible. We understood the struggle and the hardness of our hearts. But part of the promise we were given in the Old Testament by the prophets is that God would take that heart of stone. He would take and he would give us a new heart, a heart of flesh. That's what he does to us when we're born again. And now this heart of flesh, it is alive. It can be soft. It can be sensitive to the Lord. It can love in ways it never loved before. Only God can do that, guys. But also, how many of you guys can testify, and especially you who've been in the Lord for a while, that there are seasons where that soft heart can get hard in ways towards the Lord. And then his goodness, because he loves us, and because we're his kids, he'll come and spank our butts, he'll chasten us, and it gets our heart back to where it should be. That's our loving Father. But we're willing to receive that chastening because we have a new heart, and that heart is for the living God, 
for our heavenly dad who loves us enough to spank us when we need it. And I'm so thankful for that. But in the spiritual sense, guys, it's scary when our hearts get hard. Okay, I look at some brothers and sisters who are not with us any longer. What happened? Well, just one day they just decided I'm done with God. I'm out of here. Forget you guys. It's a slow fade. You guys ever hear that song by Casting Crowns? I love that song. <laughs> because it speaks truth. Watch out for that slow fade. A little bit of hardness today. A little bit tomorrow. A little bit more the next day. And a little bit. I'm still hanging around. I'm still believing. But you keep allowing that hardness of the heart to get harder and harder to a point where I just don't even want to deal with you anymore, God. It's not a good place to be in. And I think that happens by slowly treasuring up. Slowly treasuring up sinful things. How many of you guys like coffee? Yeah, you're my peeps. Um, we have a kettle. We use a French press. How many of you guys use French presses? Few. You're my super peeps. Um, we got a kettle. Okay, some friends of ours bought it. It's the one that you put on a thing and it automatically heats up so you don't have to put it on the stove. Any of you guys have one of those? They're so cool. Anyways, uh, we have here in Kakana really hard water. How many of you guys live in Kakana and know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> it's just the nastiest water of all time. Um, but we have a filter in our sink for our drinking water. So I turn it on, but it runs so slow because it has to go through the filter. It takes a little while. So I'll put the kettle out to fill it up, but it goes so quietly and so slowly, and I'm sitting there. It's on the counter. I turn the filter, and I'm filling it up. I get distracted once in a while, and I start doing something else, and I barely, you barely can hear it filling in the background, and there's been several times, hey, babe, I know you're watching at home. Um, <laughs> it's overflowed. I'm like, oh, no. How did I miss that? How did I allow that to happen? It's now getting all over my counters and now, you know, falling on the floor. And that's when I hear it is when the water starts coming all over our kitchen floor, right? But that's how it is, guys. A little bit of sin. Ah, oh, that won't hurt nothing. That won't, just a little more, a little more. It's like getting that one more drop of coffee in your cup. I could fit a little more coffee in there. And then it overflows. What a bummer. So guys, it is with the hardened, unrepentant heart. Drop by drop, it's storing up wrath, wrath for itself. That's what it's doing and not realizing that it's happening. That's the bummer. So that stream, it can come eventually dammed up, gathering forth, and then one day it just breaks forth completely. It's not fun. We don't like seeing anybody go through that. One of Isaac Watts' stanzas read, Thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. We make thousands of choices every day. Thousands of them. Do they all have eternal worth? No. But many do. 
And I want to encourage you, my brother and sister, when the Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart, speak in truth. Maybe even the Holy Spirit alarm's going off. Stop. Don't go there. Turn around. Run. Do it. Okay? He sent us the helper. He is with us. Okay? Do what's right. Well, Pastor, how do I know what's right? All scripture is given by God. It's profitable for doctrine. What is right? And for reproof, what's not right? Okay? And it will correct us. It will get us right. And it will give us instructions how to stay right. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? God in us is our hope. Follow him. Stay near him. So verses 7 to 9, guys. Not one sin escapes the righteous wrath of God. Sin is always paid for. Do you guys know that? Always paid for. Either by Christ, who is punished for our sins, or by the sinner who reject him and suffer the eternal punishment. And then verse 10, see a person's doing good shows that his heart is regenerate, right? Is my faith proved by my works? That's the question. We're not saved by the good works. That's religion. You guys know that when Jesus came, he spoke to that and spoke about how religion is not going to help anybody. It's actually a false hope. And you think about all the religious systems of today. How many people are gathering together today or this week in hopes of doing something right in order to make it to heaven one day there's nothing we can do there's the one who's done jesus christ he did it is finished there's nothing left for us to do except to receive the gift of eternal life that he's able to give receive the forgiveness of sins in whom he is the only one who can give it is a gift to be received by faith but once you come to faith, guess what? Things are going to change in your life, and things are just going to start to work out. God, you tell me to love my enemy, but he's really my enemy, and I really don't like him. How am I going to love him? Boom! I'm born again. I'm saved. Now there's love in my heart for my enemy. Where did this come from? Not of you. Your heart sucked. It's the new one that God gave you. And he dwells and lives within you. That's why you're able to love other people now. Wow. This is so cool. Um... I know you guys know these things, but this is truth that we need to get, that we need to remind ourselves of on a regular basis. That's why I love the scriptures. Some of you guys may be here this morning and you're not in relationship with God. You've been playing religion for a while. You need to repent. You need to get on your knees and ask God for forgiveness and put your faith in him. Salvation is only in him. He is savior. If you think you can save yourself, you are playing God, and that is idolatry. That is sin. You need to repent and knock it off. So, let's consider hiding behind religion for a moment as we look at verse 12 here together. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And... 
as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves. And who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, So in the day of judgment, when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So could the Jew expect uh, preferential treatment because they have the law? Okay, Or could the Gentile plead special consideration for not having the law? Well, verse 13 talks about these external rituals. Okay? They do not guarantee internal change. Okay? Just because you go to church doesn't mean there's really something going on inside. doesn't mean change is happening. I think about people who go to church all the time. This is just what I do. I give my money. I partake of the Eucharist. I do this, I do that. I even got baptized, I got wet. Look at me, I get to go to heaven because I'm doing these things. No, you get to go to heaven because of what Jesus did. I think I've shared with you guys before, but I shared with an 80 plus year old Catholic woman one time. She didn't just go to mass once a week. Do you guys know that she got to go to mass every day? That's what she did. And opening up my Bible and sharing the gospel with her She's been in Mass her entire life, and she's never heard the gospel. How is that even possible? How had she placed her hope in being good? This is what I've done my entire life to make sure I get to go to heaven. I trusted what this man had been telling me my entire life, what my family taught me, the traditions that we have. I'm a good person, and that's why I get to go to heaven. I've done all these things. And you're telling me God says that's not good enough. Yeah. It's not good enough. You're not good enough. But there is one who is good, and he loves you so much. And he can forgive you for all, even your misplaced hope. He can forgive you. It's crazy how easily we can do religion and think it's okay and it's right. I'm going to heaven. I grew up in a Christian home. Mom and dad are believers. I got my ticket in. Wow. Matthew 7, 21. How many in that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, look at all the things I've done. And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. It's not about what you do. It's about who you know. This is eternal life, we're told in John 17, that you know God in Jesus Christ whom sent. That's eternal life. Do you know him or not? If not, you need to come into relationship with him. Well, how do I do that? Well, he wants relationship with you, but sin has separated you from a holy God. 
you need to receive the gift of forgiveness. You need to believe on the gospel. That's what the Bible teaches. Guys, I don't care what any religion says. What does God say? We're responsible. God's given us brains to think. Think about it. If we could save ourselves, why did God even have to come? Why did Jesus even have to die upon a cross? That's just crazy thinking. It's not logical. It doesn't add up. What a waste. Jesus, you died in vain. (laughs) That belittles the work of Christ. His sacrifice. How dare we do that? Be logical. Read the word. Don't take my word for it. Read God's word. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. My word is truth. If what I'm saying is not resonating with you, you need to get into the word of God and allow him to change your heart and your thinking. Because at the end of the day, he is the only one that is right. Our opinions don't matter. Let God be true and every man a liar. And what a gift we have to have the scriptures. Do you guys understand that is a huge grace and a blessing? And how many of us who are religious probably even own multiple Bibles that are just gathering dust on our bookshelves and we're going to stand before our maker one day and say, hey, look what I did. I'm good to go. I was a part of this denomination or went to that church or did these things. You guys know that Jesus wept right before he went to the cross to die for us? He wept. Right before he came, lowly riding on a donkey from the Mount of Olives to be hailed as king. And then moments later, everybody turning his back on him, crying out, crucify him. Oh, you're our king. No, you're not. We want you dead. And who wanted to kill the savior of the world? It was the religious people. And we see it today. We can do so much church, do so much religion without Jesus. Doesn't that break your heart, guys? Because he is the hope of the world. And he wept that day before he came riding in on that donkey. He wept. And he said, if you only would have read, you would have known. I know a lot of you guys want to share the good news with people. Give them a Bible. Give them a I'm so excited when I hear about non-believers starting to read. I get really, really excited when I hear about religious people start reading the Bible. Well, I was taught this my whole life, but God says this. Yeah. I had a pantry guest one time come up to me, and I don't like correcting people that are unbelievers, they just don't know any better. But I'm, I'm the pastor. So she just called me father all the time. And it just kind of, it was, it was weird. I'm like, you shouldn't do that. Oh, it's okay, father. I'm like, no, really? Like, you shouldn't, you know? But the cool thing was, it was probably years into her actually being a pantry guest and calling me father for years. She came up to me and she, she's like, you know what, pastor? I've been reading the Bible. That is so cool. And you know that Jesus, God, told me 
told us to call no man father. I've been doing this my whole life with my priests. We had a wonderful conversation. Do you guys know that we don't need a priest? We don't need somebody to go to our Heavenly Father? You're a royal priesthood, period, bottom line. We are the priesthood. We are the saints, not some church that assigns. You guys ever read that in the Bible? If you are born again in the Spirit of God, you are a saint. Isn't it awesome how the Word of God can set us free from just crazy tradition of lies? It's the word of God. And I don't know if you guys have seen this to be true. You can tell people the truth, but it's something different when they read it for themselves. Wow, this is God's word. You know what? He's right. And that's why we take the word of God serious here. This is what God's saying. Okay? You guys might be struggling with this whole works concept. Well, I need to do good stuff to be saved. What do you do with Romans chapter 2? What do you do with all those epistles, because they all talk to that, you know? So, I don't even know where I am. I just want us to get the gospel. I don't want any of us to be those who just went through the motions. I even went to a Bible-teaching church, and our pastor actually teaches the Word of God. We know the truth. Great. A lot of people can know the truth, but are they born again as that truth made it 18 inches down into the heart? Has God given you that new heart? Have you believed on Jesus Christ with your heart? That's what he cares about. Is it personal? God doesn't have grandbabies, so if mommy and daddy are Christians, that doesn't make you saved. Jesus makes you saved. Personal relationship with him makes you saved. Get to know God. And if you don't know him, get on your knees and read the word of God. And believe it and you will be saved. And then you'll come back next week and be like, wow, you guys will never guess what happened. That whole heart thing you were talking about. Yeah, I can see now. My eyes are open. It's very black and white. Things aren't gray anymore. Because when Jesus said, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one gets to the Father except through me. That reality 20-some years ago hit me upside the head so hard. You know what I did? I began to read all these other books of other religions. I'm like, Jesus is it. It is so black and white. It is so true. It is so real. I know him. How do all these other people believe all these other things? I wanted to know. And as I read these other beliefs, these other religious books, I just sat and wept. What a bunch of lies from the pit of hell. Man, we're going to see next week. Satan is so good at playing church, religion. He loves religion, guys. He's all about religion. Anyways, we need to finish this because I want to worship Jesus right now. Um, he's so good, isn't he? It's his goodness that leads us to repentance. So these external rituals aren't going to do any transformation in our lives, guys. William Bradford, he was a governor of Plymouth, okay, during a colony there of the pilgrims. He insisted, those who believe in the Holy Scriptures are bound to observe its teachings. Those who do not are bound by its consequences. I want to share another quote by Helmut Thickel. He says, A salty pagan, full of juices of life, is a hundred times dearer to God, is also far more attractive to men than a scribe, a religious dude, who knows his Bible 
in whom none of this results in repentance, action, and above all, death of self. A terrible curse hangs over the know-it-all who does nothing. And another one by one of my faves, A.W. Tozer. How many of you guys have read any of Tozer's stuff? Oh, yes, enjoy. We modern Christians, he said, are long on talk and short on conduct. It is easier to pray, Lord, help me carry my cross daily, than to pick up the cross and carry it. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Lord, help, 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 I believe. I know what you've said. Then do it. Do it, yeah, pray for help, but do it. Don't just be hearers of the words, James 1.22, but be doers of it. So moral Gentiles in verses 14 and 15, who do by nature the things required by the law, they show that the law is not to be found on tablets of stone, but to be inscribed where? On the heart's of men. Okay? He's written upon our hearts and then is reflected in our actions, our conscience, and our thoughts. So your conscience accuses or it excuses you according to verse 15. I like that. That brings a lot of clarity to this passage of scripture. You see, many people have only their bad memory to thank for their clear conscience. Okay? Oh, I'm all good. No, you're not, sinner. <laughs> We're not all good. We're all bad. But we've been saved. We've been forgiven. Okay? You see, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Conscience asks the question, is it popular? Or sorry, consensus. Is it popular? And then conscience asks, is it right? That's pretty good. Okay, Dr. Martin Luther King said that. And I'm just like, that's exactly it. You see, conscience is defined as that inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the righteous or wrongness of one's behavior. Okay? The dictionary said that. Um, <laughs> and then we have Martin Luther. He said this, My conscience has been taken captive by the word of God, and to go against conscience or scripture is neither right nor safe. So conscience is an important part of human nature, but is not an absolutely trustworthy indicator of what is right and wrong. Jimmy Cricket. You guys know Pinocchio's conscience, right? Okay. Well, the Blue Fairy said, now remember Pinocchio? Uh, be a good boy and always listen to your conscience to be your guide. Well, Acts, if you're taking notes, Acts 23.1, one's conscience can be good and clear, Acts 24.16. But it also can be guilty, Hebrews 10.22. It can be corrupted, Titus 1.15. It can be weak, 1 Corinthians 8, 7, verse 10, and verse 12. And it can be seared, according to 1 Timothy for two. So all people need, okay, is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ that the blood of Christ, what, might cleanse their conscience. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Wow. 
That's all in the word of God? Yeah. The blood of Christ. How wonderful, how beautiful his sacrifice. Mark Twain said the uneasy conscience is a hair in the mouth. That's the worst. Conscience is still that still small voice that makes you feel still smaller. Conscience is a scared sanctuary where God alone may enter as judge. Conscience is a three-pointed thing in my heart that turns around when I do something wrong and the points hurt a lot, but I keep doing bad and the points eventually wear off and then it doesn't hurt anymore. So I want to talk about guilt, but specifically true guilt for a moment as we wrap up here. Okay? Because a lot of us struggle with guilt. But true guilt, I believe, is a valuable asset for living. It is a valuable thing. It helps us when we hurt others or we betray our own standards or our values. God uses guilt to influence us to change our minds about what we're doing, which also can help in leading us to repentance. So if we never felt guilt, we would not follow rules or standards, obey the law, or have good relationships with loved ones. So the last verse I want to look at is 16 here. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So as we talk about God's judgment, let's do a quick recap. He does it honestly. Did you guys catch that in verse 2? He does it honestly. Without partiality in verse 11, and then no secret is hidden from him in verse 16. You think you're getting away with something? God sees it all, guys. You see, God revealed himself to the Jews through the law of Moses written on stones of tablet to the Gentiles by writing it on their hearts. So have you been frustrated trying to run from some sin of your past? We found frustration there. Are you ready this morning to take it to Christ? I hope so. Because he's the one who can forgive He's the one who can renew, make new. He's the one who's able to help us, guys. So what we're going to do in our remaining time is we're going to partake in communion together, and then we're going to worship the Lord. Um, I want to encourage you guys, as we partake of communion together, which I've asked Lance to... Um, do our devotion for this morning and to pray. Um, I find personally when I'm able to come to the Lord's table, that's when I'm able to do business with him. Because I can play the game. <laughs> I can even lie to myself. But there's something about coming to the Lord's table where I feel like i got to get real and do business. I don't know if you guys ever sense the thing but when we consider his life, his sacrifice, it's just like, oh boy, this is what, it's your goodness, God, that leads me to repentance.